Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. When I was at seminary and they were teaching me how to write a sermon, they, they taught me to look in every text for the focus and the function. That is, simply put, what's the one main thing that the author wants you, the reader, to know? And what's the one main thing he wants you to do because you know the focus? All right, the focus and the function. Sometimes these are really challenging to figure out. Like, uh, what, what's, the, what's the main point of the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree outside Jerusalem? Or what about stories that seem to have a lot of points going on? But fortunately for us, the transfiguration story is not hard. It seems like it might be at first glance. There's so many weird things about the story. I mean, Jesus takes just three of his disciples up a mountain. He begins to shine. His face shines. His clothes shine. Moses and Elijah show up. What do they mean? But fortunately for us, the main point of the whole story and what to do about it are spelled out right in the middle of the story from the very mouth of God. God speaks, a cloud descends, a cloud descends and God speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased listen to him. That's it, right there. You cannot get any more undiluted word of God than that. This is my son, listen to him. There's your focus and function. We're done. Let's pray. No, no, no. You are not getting off that easily. You know this. See, the focus and the function are not the end of your exploration of the text. They are the entryway to your engagement with the text and to much longer sermons. So you take the focus and the function and you use them to ask the questions that the author wants you to ask. Why do Peter and James and John need to be told, this is my son, listen to him? Why does this story of the transfiguration happen where it does? Why does Jesus choose this moment to take these guys up the hill? And most importantly, what does it mean for us, separated by 2,000 years, who don't get to see Jesus shining? who don't get to see Moses and Elijah, what does it mean for us to listen to Jesus? And these are the questions I want to lead us into the text today as we reflect on the primary meaning of what it means for us to listen to him. And actually, I want to put before you three, three things. We'll start with the easy and the obvious one. The the obvious one is he's the Messiah of Israel, so listen to him. That is, when God says, this is my son, he's saying, this is the one I promised to send. This is my Messiah, so you should listen to him. And this is God's answer to a question that Matthew has been building for the last 13 chapters. Questions that have been asked time and again as people encounter Jesus. So the people hear his great teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, and they say, who is this who teaches with authority, that not like our scribes? Or the religious leaders who hear him forgive sins and say, who can forgive sins except God? Who does this guy think he is? Jesus' hometown, who does this guy think, where did he get all this? We know who his mom and dad are. Jesus' disciples see him do miracles. They see him calm the waters of the sea and they ask, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. John the Baptist, his cousin who prepares the way for him with preaching and, and calling out people to repentance, winds up in jail and left to be in jail. And so he sends some messengers to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Who are you, Jesus? And the tension around this question has been building all the way till chapter 16, when Jesus asks the question himself to the disciples. Right before our passage, he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? 
and they rattle off the answers. Some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks them, who do you guys say that I am? And Simon Peter has his, his shining moment. This is about as good as it gets for Peter. He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus praises him for this. Blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed to you by your own flesh and blood, your own reason. This came to you from the Father. So there it is, right there in the text, just before our passage. Jesus is the Messiah, the hoped-for one of Israel, the Son of the living God. And on this confession that Peter makes, on this recognition, he says, Peter, you're now the rock. And on your confession, on your faith in me as Messiah, I'm going to build my whole church and give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's It's an amazing moment for Peter. He recognizes who God is. And now, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the same message from Moses and Elijah, the guys who are supposed to appear when the Messiah comes, from God himself as he descends in a cloud. This is my son. So for us today to listen to Jesus, to call is to acknowledge him as the Lord, to acknowledge him as the Messiah of Israel, to say that he shows us who God is. That is to say, the God of Israel is the one, as we talked about last week, who claims to have created the entire universe, including you, who has designed you and made you for a purpose. And to call to listen to Jesus is to say that in Jesus, we find that purpose fulfilled. We find our hope that one day we will fulfill God's purpose, that one day this world won't be broken like we see it obviously is. So to listen to Jesus in our day is to turn from all the other fake and false gods and trust Jesus and Jesus alone as the one who is God and to call him our Lord, to recognize that he has no interest in being our hobby or our side project. He is our Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, our ultimate basis for who we are, what matters, and what the hope of this universe is. But you you might have wondered, if God says this in the cloud, and Peter just said it a a chapter earlier, why the repetition? I mean, Peter just said, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, and, and Jesus acknowledges, this came to you from the Father. Why does Jesus need to now take his disciples up a mountain and hear the same message again? Well, because something happened between these two stories. And Matthew points us towards it with the very first words in this story. He says, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John. Six days after what? Well, six days after Jesus began telling his disciples, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, and he is going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day, raised. And now Peter has his less than golden moment. Because Peter does not expect the Messiah to be killed. This is not on his itinerary for Israel's Messiah. It is not what he expects. It's not what he's looking for. It's not what he's hoping for. And he and the rest of the disciples surely are conversing among themselves like, wait a second, this is not what we planned for. We didn't plan for our, to follow this guy so he could get murdered. That's, that was not what I signed up for. I mean, imagine inviting someone to church and say, you can come here and die. Right? Who's, no one's going to come to that. But Peter takes the voice of this doubt and says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. That's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. Far be it from you. And for this rebuke, Peter gets a new name. He's not just the rock. Now he is Satan. Jesus responds, Get behind me, Satan. You are now the tempter. You are a hindrance to me. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. This brings us to the second thing of what it means to listen to Jesus. If it's first to call him Lord, the Messiah of Israel, the second thing, what it means to listen to Jesus, is to trust him and follow him even when he doesn't fulfill your expectations. Because that is what Jesus then invites all the disciples into in the next verse. Jesus then told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, we've heard this verse a bazillion times, and we're used to this idea of taking up our cross and following Jesus. But for 2,000 years, the cross has been a symbol of our faith, the symbol of God's goodness. It was not at this moment. When these disciples heard it, the cross was an instrument of state-sponsored terrorism. It was a thing that their enemies, the Romans, used to crucify all the other fake messiahs used to get rid of anyone who crossed their political agenda. The cross was not a symbol of self-sacrifice and dignity. It was a symbol of, of the most degrading, shameful state a Jew could ever find himself in, of being tortured to death. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. So to listen to him today is to recognize that his call to follow us is not going to always meet our expectations or our desires. There will be times when Jesus does not seem to live up to what we want from him. When maybe the way he lets things go disappoint us deeply. Or maybe he bids us to a kind of obedience that makes us enemies of those around us. That makes our culture say to us, do not follow Jesus or there will be consequences. Or when he bids us to love our enemies and return those who curse us with blessings. See, Jesus bids all his disciples to this dark road of discipleship. And he bids them here on this Mount of Transfiguration to listen to him, even when he's not shining, even when he's not glorious, when he's not attested to by Moses and Elijah. And for us to listen to him today, it means trusting him even now when we don't see him shining and we don't always see his work in the world. To trust him to go down that dark road that he has bid us and trust that he'll go with us. That's the third thing of what it means to listen to Jesus. The first is to call him Lord, and the second is to follow him even on a dark, even when he doesn't fulfill our expectations. The third, to listen to Jesus, is to observe his patience. Here's what I mean. I'm going to give you an example first. A couple nights ago, I went to the CDC um, song service where they sang some, all the kids of the CDC got together and sang some love songs to their parents. It was a truly beautiful, wonderful thing to see this mob of three to five-year-olds singing together. And as I stood there in the back, I thought, like, I, I, just, I just stood in awe of these dear women, our CDC workers, who spend their entire day with these children. I have my own three-year-old, and I know that she can kind of be a monster sometimes. And I can only imagine what it's like to spend an eight-hour day with a whole bunch of three- to five-year-olds, outnumbered and undefended. And these dear saints have an amazing patience with these children. A patience born of love. A patience that you can see only when you see that barely restrained chaos actually channeled into song. It's a miracle to behold. And it is that same miracle that Matthew wants you to stand in awe of. And he wants you to do this by pointing out just how deeply flawed the disciples are. He's highlighted already Peter's own failure to follow Jesus. In this story, he highlights Peter's dumb idea that simply gets ignored and talked over by God. 
And he's going to continue to highlight the failures of the disciples. They're going to go down the mountain, and in a few days, they're going to argue, get into an argument about who is the greatest. A little while later, they will send children away who, don't, who are trying to get too close to Jesus. Peter will ask, what, what's the limit on forgiveness? How often do I, do, do I really have to forgive this often? Time and again, the disciples will show their failure of resolve, their lack of understanding of who Jesus is, their, their incomprehension, their lack of faith. They will vow, we would go with you unto death, Jesus, and then he'll ask them to stay awake and pray with him, and they fall asleep. They will all flee and abandon him when he is arrested. Peter will take up a sword and try to defend the kingdom by violence. And then he will betray him, renouncing him three times before others. No, Jesus, when they ask Peter, just think about this. When they ask Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, I don't know him. I don't know what God said on that transfiguration mountain. I don't know what he's shown me through all the miracles. I don't know any of that. I don't know him at all. You could not ask for a more thorough renunciation of who Jesus is. And Matthew's not done. Even after the resurrection, when things are all good again, Jesus is alive, they can see him, their faith has become sight, all their hopes fulfilled, they're standing on a mountain in Galilee, and they see Jesus, and Matthew says in Matthew 28, and they bowed down to worship, but some doubted. Some doubted. And in showing you all these failures of his disciples, Matthew wants you to see the inexhaustible patience of Jesus. The awesome patience of this Messiah, who didn't simply send these disciples on a dark road to wander alone, but walked with them every step of the way. He didn't just call Peter, Satan, and leave him, get out. He then invited him to follow him on this costly road of discipleship. He then took him up the Mount of Transfiguration to accompany him and give him sight so that he could listen to him through all the challenges to come. Matthew wants you to see these bumbling fools that go along with Jesus and watch Jesus shepherd them all the way because he wants you to know that that's what he's doing with you. And it's so crucial that you know this because this recognition, the observing of the patience of Jesus, this is the difference between Judas and Peter. This is the difference between, it's not the extent of their sin. Judas did something worse and Peter did something less. No, it's the fact that Peter recognized Jesus' patience and saw forgiveness as a possibility. But for Judas, forgiveness could never be possible and he took his life See, Matthew wants you to see Peter in all his raw shame, in all his misunderstanding, in all his failure and compromise, and think, if this guy has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, then there is surely room in there for me. Broken, failure, lack of conviction that I am. He wants us to see today that that same patience of Jesus towards his disciples is the patience he has towards you. In your own failure of resolve, in your own misunderstanding and doubt and fear, in your own failures to follow him, in the sins that you bring to him again and again and again asking for forgiveness. He wants you to recognize that this Messiah has already dealt with a lot worse. He dealt with his disciples so he can handle you because he actually wants you to be with him. He wants it so much he's willing to die for it. He wanted those disciples to be with him. And by the way, this whole thing, just on as a side note, this whole thing is a great, like, indirect evidence for the authenticity of, of the Christian faith and what Ma- the story Matthew's telling. Because, I mean, if you're going to make up a religion, all the disciples get together and say, let's make up a religion, and let's, let's do it by telling a story where we all look like incompetent fools. Then people will believe us. No, the disciples don't try to hide their foolishness and their failure precisely because it highlights the inexhaustible patience of Jesus. And we find in it that same patience for us. 
That's why Jesus taught us and the disciples to pray for daily forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, because he knew we'd need it daily. Why he taught us to forgive our neighbors daily, because he knew our neighbors would forgive it, would need, would need our forgiveness. Why he attached his forgiveness to bread and wine on an altar, because he knew that he'd be the only thing that holds us together and gets us through this. Because Jesus does not simply send his disciples down the dark road of faith. He walks with them, picking them up, as he does in this text, touching them and saying, do not be afraid, rise. He redirects them when they wander off the path, and he goes with them all the way unto death, giving his life for them. And so this story of transfiguration bids us listen to him. It bids Peter and James and John listen to him. Call him your Lord. Trust that he knows what it means to be the Messiah that you need. And bank your whole life on his inexhaustible patience. God gave them this vision on transfiguration to prepare them for the darkness that was to come. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the transfiguration story is for, where it is in Matthew's gospel, to prepare us for another mountain, to prepare us for the journey, to listen to Jesus as he moves from transfiguration mount to Calvary, where instead of, being, where instead of taking a few of his disciples up, he is taken up by force, where instead of being clothed in glory and splendor and light, he is stripped naked and humiliated in front of everyone, beaten within an inch of his life. Where instead of being attested to by Moses and Elijah, he stands and listens to the scoffers who say, if he's the Christ, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. The disciples need to hear God himself say, this is my son, listen to him, so that they'll still listen to him when the silence of God is all that answers his cries of forsakenness on the cross. And so this story of the transfiguration prepares us to go into Lent to prepare our hearts and minds, to to worship Christ at his cross, to follow him all the way to the cross and the empty tomb. And I want to close today by inviting you to consider Lent as a time of learning to listen to Jesus, a setting yourself some disciplines that help you focus and listen to his words rather than the other things that you're listening to. This is actually historically how the church has used the time of Lent, as a series of disciplines. And and it's not a time of earning more God points or getting more grace or becoming a super awesome better Christian but simply a time of disciplining yourself. Who is it that I'm listening to? And you do this, I mean, the simplest one is scripture. Like read scripture, set yourself a goal, like read Matthew through every week for the next six weeks. It's a great Lenten discipline. Take some time to to turn off other things that you're listening to. The church has historically called this fasting, whether it be from fasting from food, that is telling yourself, my body is not my Lord, I'm not Winnie the Pooh. I do not need to answer my rumbly tummy every time it makes itself known. I can say no, and I can spend a meal. Just pick one meal a week to spend in prayer rather than meeting the needs of your body, and you'll survive. You'll be okay. It's not a weight loss thing, by the way. It's a discipline for your, your body and your soul. Or simply take, looking at your schedule and asking, like, who all am I listening to? Or better yet, fasting from these guys. This is probably the far more addictive thing. I am who I am in Jesus, not by my connectivity with the world, not by my connected connection with the news, with social media, with all the people whose affirmation I need. I have all the affirmation I need in Jesus. So maybe fasting from the glowing rectangles is what God has for you. Or finally, just asking, what, looking at your schedule and asking, where am I listening to Jesus? Where am I making time to hear him? Maybe together in prayer with your family before bed or here together in the worship service. But that is my invitation to you. Jesus is the Son of God, the one in whom God delights. So listen to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
you have sent your son Jesus to show us your very nature, to embody and enact for us that very patience that upholds the world. Help us to trust that in him we see who you are. We see who you are making us by your spirit. We see in his cross the very self-giving depths of your love. Help us to turn from all idols, from all false voices, and listen to him alone, following him in faith, calling him our Lord, trusting him to carry us through dark roads, and banking everything on his inexhaustible patience. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.